Father, we just, uh, as we come to this text today, I ask you to uh, uh, teach us by your Holy Spirit, Lord, uh, to open up your word and help us to see uh, just uh, how terrible it's going to be for those who reject you, Lord, and how wonderful it's going to be for those who uh, receive you before this great tribulation begins. So, so give us wisdom today and open up the word. We ask that. Uh, in the precious name of Jesus Christ, it's in his name that I pray. Amen. Again, if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Revelation, and we'll be in chapter number 20 today. In the waning hours of his presidency, Barack Obama, just a few hours before he was to leave office, uh, sent $220 million to the Palestinian Authority. Uh, he, and there was an outcry in Congress, the Republican-led Congress, against him sending this money, but he made an executive order and he sent $221 million to the Palestinians. And he said in order to help them uh, provide jobs for the people and to establish order and to establish justice in that land. And if you had listened to several of the politicians in his administration before he sent this money, uh, they often said that the, the problem with the Palestinians uh, wasn't, uh, uh, wasn't spiritual. The problem with the Palestinians was their environment. That if you would just change their environment and you would give them wealth and you would give them jobs and you would... Uh, bring them social order and you would let them have their own state that they would be good law-abiding citizens. That's, in other words, you throw money at it and, and that solves the problem. Well, we know that such idealistic uh, plans never really work uh, because the problem with mankind isn't the material world. The problem with mankind is the spiritual world, the fact it's not their environment. The problem with men and women, our problem is our sin nature. Now, somebody will pop up. I've had people do it all the time. I want you to know the word sin nature don't appear in the Bible. Well, the, act, the actual words sin nature don't appear in the Bible, but the sin nature is discussed over and over and over again in the Bible. We call it the flesh or we call it the old man. Uh, it's the nature, the sin nature, that we inherited from Adam after he and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden. And Paul describes it in Ephesians 4. He says it's like a cancer. He says it grows more and more corrupt according to its deceitful lust. And our environment has nothing to do with it. It's not the environment that causes our problems. It's that sin nature. And it, because that sin nature infects everybody. It infects the poor as well as the rich. It affects, infects the well-to-do as, as well as the not-so-well-to-do. It infects the Palestinian as well as the Jew. Every single person born into this world has a sin nature. Now, we just have, have got a new grandson, and i got to tell you, he's got a sin nature. Now, I, I'm not going to tell Kaylee that. I wouldn't say that if she's not here this week. I mean, 
Brenda calls him the new, his name is James. She calls him the new King James. <laughs> and so, uh, but he's got a sin nature. I don't know him yet, but I promise you he has a sin nature. That's why Jesus told us, or he told Nicodemus, and he was telling us, in effect, in John chapter 3, he said, you must be born again. Unless a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Because the, God is not going to allow the kingdom of heaven to be polluted with sin like the earth has been polluted with sin. Now some people think, well, okay, if you just change the environment, people will be good. I mean, you get rid of Satan, uh, and no longer does he deceive the nations, no longer does he tempt the nations, you get rid of Satan... Uh, that'll be a good start. Uh, you reduce the population. You know, there's this movement in the world to reduce the population. That's what abortion's all about. Uh, it's, it's this idea that if you reduce the population, then, then change the environment, then it'll be better for men and better for the animal world, and everything will get better and better and better. Uh, well, we know that there's a curse. And so one of the things that would make the environment better would be if God removed the curse. Uh, and uh, so that there's plenty of resources to go, go around and that we have prosperity on earth. And then the last thing maybe that we would need to do to change our environment so that men would, and women would be good people would be to enforce law and order. Now obviously if men and, people, if men and women became good people, you wouldn't need to enforce law and order. It would be there. It would be the natural thing. Uh, but if... We did all those things. Some people believe that everyone on earth would become good, law-abiding, peaceful people. Well, last week when we did this quick tour through the millennium, that's exactly the conditions that we saw on earth. I mean, we saw that Satan was bound for a thousand years. So you got a thousand years without Satan, tempting the people, deceiving the people, accusing the people. The population was reduced, will be reduced in the millennium to almost a third, probably even less than that, of what it is now. And so the population will be very much smaller than it is now. The curse will be removed, and the earth will be restored to the splendor that it had when Adam and Eve lived in the Garden of Eden. And then uh, in the millennium, there's going to be law and order. Because Christ and his church are going to rule with a rod of iron. And so all of these things are going to happen in the millennium uh, period, in this thousand years of utopian, uh, of this utopian society on earth. So that people have what people at that point will be living in perfect peace in a perfect environment. So if there's ever an environment that would produce good people, it would be the millennium environment. And, and so that's what you think would happen, but it's not going to happen. As we're going to see in our lesson today, Satan at the end of the thousand years is going to be released, and just about the whole world, the entire population is going to rebel against God. We're told in the passage about this rebellion that their numbers are as the sand on the seashore they're going to turn on the Lord and they're going to join Satan in this final stand against God why 
Well, it's not the environment, stupid. See, you, you can see it's not the environment. It's the sin nature. And it's, and it's so corrupt and so deceitful that people will always, given the chance, they will always stand in opposition to God. But what about us? Hey, when the millennium comes, right now, you, have, you still have your flesh. And your flesh, believes, believe it or not, stands in opposition to God. Do you ever feel opposed to God? Do you ever get in a situation where you don't like what God's doing in your life? Well, if you haven't, you will, let me tell you. And when that happens, the, there's part, there's, we've got a good nature now. We've got that new nature, and it loves God. But that old nature, I don't know about you, but my old nature wants to bow up against God. I, I still want to rebel against God. But when we die and we go to heaven and we receive those glorified bodies, we no longer have a sin nature. So when the millennium begins, we're not going to have any problem with rebellion. That old part that wants to rebel in us is going to be gone. We're going to be in our glorified bodies, and we're going to live to honor God. We're going to want to be obedient to God, and we're going to serve God as kings and priest unto God. So, so that's what we want to pick up today. We're back in the millennium, and the millennium is about to begin. And let's go to verse number 4. We're in chapter number 20, verse number 4. And listen to what he says. He says, And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Now, who's the they? Hey, that's you. That's me. We're going to be on thrones, and we're going to sit in and judgment of this world. We're going to be the judges on this world. We're going to govern this world. He says, And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their... Uh, somebody read that for me, because I've got a line through my... For their witness... When you get old, you start losing your eyesight. That won't happen in heaven. For their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Now, notice here that there are two groups that make up the church. He's talking about two groups here. The first group, if you look at this, are those who have already already in glory when the great tribulation begins. That's us. We'll be in glory when the great tribulation begins. I don't plan on being here when the tribulation begins. Now, if you're still here and the tribulation begins, you're going to get a chance to become a saint. And more than likely, you've heard enough that you'll know what you need to do. And so at that point, you're going to say, man, I guess I wasn't born again because everybody else got raptured but me, and so I'm going to get right with God at this point. And you'll have a chance to be a tribulation saint. But guess what's going to happen to you if you become a tribulation saint and you stand against the Antichrist? You're going to lose your head. You're going to be beheaded. And so you've got two groups here. You've got those who are already in glory when the tribulation begins, and you've got the tribulation saints who will lose their, their heads when the tribulation begins. But when the millennium begins, we'll all be together, everybody, whether you're a tribulation saint or whether you're, you're a regular saint, then you're going to 
uh, rule and reign with Jesus Christ for a thousand years. Now, a lot of people say, they see this, this line here that says that the saints in the tribulation were be, are beheaded, and they want to take that and run with it and say that means that the Antichrist will be a Muslim because we've all seen these images on our TVs of Muslims beheading Christians, and so that does make sense. Uh, but we've looked at enough material before we came to this verse to know that the, Muslim, that, that, that the Antichrist is going to lead a revived Roman Empire. Now, I do hold out the possibility that the Muslims might take over Europe, and then that territory that once was the Roman Empire might be ruled by Muslims. That is a possibility. I don't think so. I believe that the Antichrist will come from present-day Europe, and I believe, you know, there's a good chance that he's alive today. Maybe not, but there's a good chance that he might be alive today. All right, now, in verses 5 and 6, he says, But the rest of the dead, in other words, that those who aren't ruling and reigning with Christ, those who aren't tribulation saints and those who aren't the saints uh, who were uh, resurrected before the great tribulation began. He says, the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. Now, that, they were alive, but where were they living? They won't live again on earth until the thousand years are finished. They're living in Hades. Once they died, they go straight to Hades. If you don't know the Lord and you die, you, to be absent from the body, if you don't know the Lord, it's to be present with, in Hades. And so, uh, but the rest of the dead did not live until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. In other words, the saints, the tribulation saints, and the saints who died and went on to be in glory, the saints who were raptured, they are part of the first resurrection. The other saints, they aren't resurrected to life on this earth uh, until they come to the earth for the great white throne judgment. And so uh, what he's saying here, that the first resurrection, what he's saying, refers to the resurrection of the bride of Christ. That's to us, to the church. And when are we resurrected? We're resurrected when we die or when we're raptured. Uh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. And so that's when our resurrection takes place. That's why earlier in Revelation, if you remember, when we saw the church in heaven singing just before the great tribulation begins, uh, uh, we saw the resurrected church in Revelation chapter 5. Let me read to you verses 9 and 10. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe, tongue, and peoples and nation. And you have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Then in chapter 7, in chapter 5, we see the resurrected saints, the, 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 the saints who died before the great tribulation, the saints who were raptured. Then in chapter 7, we see the tribulation saints, and they're singing a similar song. Listen to what they're singing. We hear them singing in Revelation 7:10, Salvation belongs to our God and to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Now as we come to chapter 20, all the resurrected saints are ruling and reigning together with the Lord on earth for a thousand years. 
And not only do we rule and reign with the Lord, we're also priests unto the Lord. We're priests to the people on this earth. One-third of the population will still be here. They will repopulate the earth, and we will rule and reign over them. And not only will we rule and reign over them, we will be priests unto them. Uh, I'm sure part of our job will be to lead them to the Lord, to get them into a relationship with the Lord, to get them saved. They'll have an opportunity to be saved too. Now, it's an amazing thing that they don't all get saved, but they don't. But for the rest of the dead, for the rest of the dead, those who die before the millennium begins, it's a different story. They die and they go straight to Hades. And then they aren't resurrected into the great white throne judgment seat. So they have no part at all in the millennium. Now can you imagine being in Hades for a thousand years while everybody's having a wonderful time on earth and you're being tormented day and night and what do you have to look forward to? You get one reprieve, you get resurrected again, you get resurrected not to Hades but to the earth or really to wherever God will be when he has the great white throne judgment seat, you will see God at the great white throne judgment seat. And then, guess what you get? You get a sentence, your sentence then, to eternal death in the lake of fire. And, but he says here, he says, that death has no power over us. Man, you want something to praise God about this morning? The fact that this, the second death has no power over you and I. When we die the first time, at that moment when you die, you are resurrected to eternal life. Now, I've got to add something there. Do you know when your eternal life began? Your eternal life, that new nature began when you received Jesus Christ. That's when you really received life. That's why Jesus says over in John chapter 11, whosoever believes in me shall never die. Your resurrected life began when you receive Jesus Christ. So here we are, we're looking at our setting here, and we're living in this perfect environment. We're being ruled by Jesus Christ and his saints. And I believe during that time that the nations, the people of the nations are being taught the Bible. They're being taught about the Lord. And and I think, guess who the number one teacher on earth will be at that time? It won't be me, and it won't be Charles Stanley. It'll be the Lord himself. He'll actually be our teacher. And so you've got, you're, they're being taught the Bible. They're living in a society with, with perfect harmony and perfect peace. And you would think that every single person would give their lives and hearts to the Lord, and they would live happily ever after. But look at what happens next. Look at the next few verses, verses 7 and 8. It says, now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison, and he will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog. Now, does that look familiar? Where do we see this battle of Gog and Magog? And this confuses a lot of people. Where do we see this? Over in Ezekiel chapter 38, there's this battle where Gog and Magog come down against Israel. All this is is history repeating itself. The battle that you see in Ezekiel 38 is, is going to happen really soon. And some people believe it will happen before the Great Tribulation begins. I think I've come to that conclusion myself now. Some people believe it's the Battle of Armageddon. 
But the battle that we're seeing right here doesn't take place until the millennium is over. So it takes place a thousand years after the millennium begins. And so, and they will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle. Now this just is absolutely amazes me right here. Whose number is as of the sand of the sea. In other words, the vast majority of people on this earth rebel against the Lord. And, and I, I, I mean, just, just about everybody. So while Satan is bound for a thousand years, I mean, no one's tempted, no one's deceived, and then he's released, and in a matter of just a few hours, I mean, the whole world is just about as deceived. I mean, the vast majority of the population of the earth is deceived. The numbers is of the sand of the sea, which tells us the population has exploded at this point because you've, you've had a thousand years of people living to be hundreds of years old and having children. And so probably the population is at least as great as it is now on this earth. But the vast majority of them don't turn to the Lord. They join Satan in this rebellion against Jesus Christ and his church. Why could they be so easily deceived? Why? Because the human heart is desperately wicked. Even in a perfect environment, even knowing history. You know what? If we would just look at history, it would change the way we lived our lives, even if we didn't know Christ. But we don't ever learn from history. Here are these people, they can look back on the history of mankind. They can go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And they can see the rebellion of Adam and Eve in the Garden. And they can look at the history books for those, those thousand years since that happened, up until the time of the millennium when everything became utopian and perfect. And they can look at that and say, gosh, we would never want that to happen again. And then here they are knowing history, and then they've, experienced a thousand years of utopia and Satan comes and in a matter of moments he's deceived them and they're willing to rebel against God in Jerusalem. I mean, can you imagine being able to see God himself in his glory living in Jerusalem and you've got the nerve to think you're going to go kill him. But you think the heart's not desperately wicked? And, but, you know, I, I guarantee you, Satan gives them the same old line he gives us all. Same old line he gave Adam and Eve in the garden. You deserve better than what you're getting. You're not getting what you deserve. Who is God? Is God really a good God? You, you, who are these saints trying to rule over you? What, who do they think they are? You know, you ought to be ruling over them. I mean, you ought to be ruling over Christ. You're better than Christ. Hey, you follow me, and you shall be like God. And just like that, everyone on earth takes the bait, and they follow him. And look at these foolish people. Look at verse number 9. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp. Now, they go to Jerusalem, and they surround the camp of the saints. Now, that's me and you. Now, let me tell you what their intentions are. They come to give us a prize. No, they're coming to kill you and coming to kill me. You know what? 
at that point, when you have your glorified body, you'll see that, you'll cry because you'll feel sorry for these idiots, but you'll also laugh. They can't kill me. God's given me an eternal body. Let them try. We've got, we're going to have bodies that can walk through walls. We're going to have bodies that can be in the new Jerusalem in an instant and back on earth in an instant. I mean, how are they going to grab us to kill us? And if we want to just pass through their spear or their sword or their bullets or whatever they shoot, we can pass right through them. And so it's almost laughable that they're even trying this. But they went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the, and the saints and the beloved city. We know that's Jerusalem. And I, I, you know what? I believe they think they can kill God. The devils deceived them to think they can kill God. And let me tell you what he told them. He said, we got it done one time. Remember the cross? We can do it again. And this time we'll do it for good. But here's what they better know. They better know that the only reason they got Jesus the first time was that he let them get him. When they came at Jesus in the Garden of Eden, all he said was, they said, are you the one? And he said, I am. And when he said, I am, they all fell on their butts. Excuse my French. They all fell backwards. And, and they fell backwards. They fell backwards because of the power of the word of God. And God said, hey, I could kill you all. If I, Jesus said, I, basically he's saying by breathing on them and them falling back, I could kill you all if I wanted to. And if I wanted to, I could bring a legion of Eden angels down and destroy every single one of you but he didn't do that he didn't do that because he loves us and he died for us he died to save us and that's why he allowed himself to be killed the first time but I'll tell you what the second time he's gonna have none of it he's gonna have none of it and so that's why you see the next part of this verse and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them the whole bunch of them in the blink of an eye they're devoured and where do they go? Their souls at that point are sent to Hades. And guess what? Hallelujah. That's the last we see of Satan ever. Look at verse number 10. He says in verse number 10, he says, The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. What's the lake of fire and brimstone? That's not Hades. What is it? It is hell. That's, what, that's, that's hell. Where the, be where the beast and the false prophet are. Hey, they're already there. Remember they, when Jesus comes at, at the Armageddon, he captures them and throws them into the lake of fire. The, he uses an angel to do that. And they will be, now, hell is not a place where you are destroyed once and for all, and that's it. Look at this. And they will be tormented day and night for, for a couple of years, for a thousand years, for a billion years, for a hundred billion years? No, forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Let me tell you what, you, you don't believe in hell? It doesn't matter what you believe. There is a hell and people who don't know the Lord are one day going to end up in that hell if they don't repent. Along with the false prophet and the devil and Satan, I mean the devil and uh, the Antichrist. And read that verse, and all I can say is he's gone. He's gone. He's gone forever. You know, the question i got to ask at this point is why would God even allow this rebellion? 
Well, we're going to have to read the rest of the chapter. Because what he's doing, he's showing us why there's a great white throne judgment. He's vindicating his justice. He's demonstrating his justice by vindicating his sentence of eternal punishment uh, on the, for the wicked. Because, listen, given the right circumstances and enough time, anyone who has not been regenerated by the Holy Spirit at some point will choose, because their heart is desperately wicked, because they have a sin nature, they will choose to rebel against God and all of what happened in the, after the Garden of Eden will start all over again, and God's not going to have it anymore. And so if you want to be a rebel, you're going to be a rebel in hell. You're not, you're not going to be a rebel on this earth. You're not going to be a, a rebel on the new heaven, in the new heavens and the new earth. You will be a rebel in hell, and you will be with every other rebel who's ever lived. You know, here's what people don't understand. We were created in the image of God. That means we were created to be eternal beings. And we're going to live out eternity somewhere. We're going to either live out eternity in, in heaven and on the new earth, or we're going to live out eternity in hell. All right, now, verse number 11. Then I saw it great, here it is. These people have died. You've had all the people who have lived since Adam and Eve, and they've died, and they've gone to Hades, those who didn't receive the Lord. Then you had all the people uh, during the Great Tribulation who took the mark of the beast, and they died, and they went to Hades. And then you had all of these people that lived out through the millennium, and they died without receiving the Lord. And, they and then there were those who came against the Lord in Jerusalem at the end of the millennium. They were deceived by Satan, and they've died, and they've gone to Hades. And now all of them, all of these wicked people are resurrected, and this is what they see. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. Now, let's try to figure out what he's saying right there. First of all, that word white, we've seen that before. That's the Greek word, and I don't want to bore you with the Greek, but that is the Greek word leukon, and it means something more than white. It means a white light, a pure white light. It's the Shekinah glory of God. That's what we're seeing. And, this glow, and it's a great white light. It's the glowing great white light of the Lord. And it's so brilliant in the eyes of the beholder that, that it's as if heaven and earth flay away. I mean, all, anybody who stands at the great white throne judgment seat won't be able to see anything because they'll be blinded by this great white light. And they won't be in glorified bodies. Okay, they'll be in, in, in eternal bodies, but they won't be in glorified bodies. And, and so all they can see is the glory of God. Now, that's a wonderful thing if you're a friend of God. That's a terrible thing if you're an enemy of God. And it's going to be, what a glorious sight. But you, I mean, the great white throne judgment seat, this glory of God just, just, just pushing away the sight of the earth and pushing away the sight of the heavens. And you see there's nothing but this glorious white light. You see these people have these death experiences and they see this glorious white light? 
They might be getting a preview. That sounds glorious and wonderful. But let me tell you, you don't want to be there. You don't want to be at the great white throne judgment seat. If you find yourself at the great white throne judgment seat, I've said it over and over again, you're in deep, deep trouble. Because you're going to be resurrected, or you've been resurrected, rather, to the judgment seat of God. And you're going to be sentenced to hell. That is the second death that he speaks of here. This being sentenced to eternal death in hell. Look, there are two end time judgments. All of us are going to face judgment. There's two end time judgments. If you're in Jesus Christ, the Bible is clear. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Man, that's the only thing we can stand on. But we will stand at a judgment seat, the Bema seat of Christ. We see that in Romans chapter 14. I'm not going to get into all of that today in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. But we will give an account for the things we did on this earth, whether good or bad, especially those things we did after we were saved. And that judgment seat, I have no doubt, is going to take place at the wedding supper of the Lamb. So it's going to be a great thing. It's not going to be a terrible thing. It's going to be a wonderful thing. Some of y'all, I mean, even if you haven't done much, you've done something good the Lord's going to reward you for. Then when we come, and I'm in your shoes too, so I'm not saying I've done any great things by any means. I mean, I've I've said before, probably I'll be ruling in Homer or somewhere like that, and Chuck Smith will be in Hawaii. He's always said he wanted to rule in Hawaii. I mean, Homer, I don't guess, would be that bad. But but, uh, anyway, it's going to take place at the wedding service. Supper of the Lamb. And then when we, were, when we return with Jesus Christ, these aren't pie-in-the-sky fairy tales I'm talking about. This is, the, this is the real thing. When we return with Jesus Christ, we're going to be placed in service on this earth based upon our faithfulness during this life we're living now. So you want to live faithfully to the Lord now so you're not stuck in Homa for, for a thousand years. Let me tell you what, Homa will be so beautiful. Homa will be great. Nobody's going to get punished in the church. You're not going to be punished. You're going to be rewarded. And, and you're not going to care. Oh, I mean, just be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. Wouldn't that be great? Let somebody else do home in Hawaii. I'll take that. Let me be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. Let me just be in his presence all the time. Clean the toilets. I mean, if I don't really have toilets or not, but clean the whatever, whatever. Just put me in the presence of the Lord forever. And then a thousand years Later, you get that second judgment. Those who have rejected Christ as their Savior will be raised from Hades to face God at the great white throne judgment. Look at verse 12. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the, in the books. Now, you got two books there. Or you got one book and several other books that make up a volume of books. You've, the, the volume of books you, that is there in heaven is the book of works. How many of you in this room want to be judged by your works? The wages of sin not sins, is death. So if one sin can be found 
in your life, you're going to be sentenced to hell. If you, if you keep the whole law and yet offend in one area of the law, you violated the whole law. You've rebelled against God and you're still a rebel. You've got to have your heart changed. And you never would choose to get your heart changed. You wanted to be a rebel. And so you've got to get to be a rebel forever. And God's going to open up these book of works. And when he opens up these books, all the bad things that you have done, when you're sitting at, standing in the pure glory, glory of God, in the glory of his truth, in the glory of his righteousness, everything bad you've done in your life is going to be magnified eternally when you're standing in the presence of God. And everything good that you've done in your life is going to come off as nothing more than filthy rags. So you don't want to stand before God. And so no one will be able to dispute the fact when they stand in the presence of God and these books are open and their lives are judged that they have fallen short of the glory of God. And nobody's going to enter heaven who falls short of the glory of God. And then the book of life will be open. And the names of the lost aren't going to be there. They're going to look for those people, they're going to, they're going to, is my name in the book of life? I mean, let's say you appear at the white, great white throne judgment. So you're going to want to know, is your name in the book of life? Your name's not in the book of life if you appear there. The only people who names, whose names are in the book of life are those who have given their lives to the Lord while they were on this earth. Before the millennium began or during the millennium. How did we get in the book of life? We got there by grace. By grace. We're no better than these other people. We recognize by the grace of God. We recognize that we fall short of the glory of God. We recognize that we have a sin nature. We rec See, that's what's wrong with America today. Nobody wants to face up to their sin. They call what is sin good and what is good sin. And that's the world we live in. And so when people reach that point, there's no hope for them. You can only have hope if you recognize that you're a sinner. And if you recognize that you're a sinner, then you can be saved by grace. And you can be given a new nature and then a glorified body fit for heaven when you get to heaven. You know what's interesting to me is when was the book of life written? The answer to that question. It's very interesting to me. When was the book of life written? You know when it was written? It wasn't written while we were living our lives. It was written way back in eternity. If you're a born-again believer, your name was put in that book way back in eternity. We know it was there when Moses lived. Because remember Moses, when God was about to destroy the Israelites, and he had fallen in love with that ragtag, uh, sinful band of people, and he had fallen in love with them, and he said, Lord, hey, take my name out of the book. He was talking about the book of life, if you'll just save them. I mean, how, who, who, Paul said something similar to that. Who, who, how many of you would be willing to have your name taken out of the book of life in order to see somebody else saved? Now, that's somebody who really loves people. I wouldn't do that for any of y'all if you're thinking I would. I can tell you right now, I don't think I would. Maybe for my wife, you know, but 
Maybe Andrus. I doubt it, Andrus. <laughs> but you know what that tells me? If God wrote my name in that book before the foundation of the world, as Paul said, he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, then nothing can take away my salvation. Now, how did I get in the book of life? It's, Paul says in, in, in uh, Ephesians chapter 1, he also says, having believed, we were sealed with the Spirit. So you've got to believe. But if you believe, you know what you find out when you believe? You find out you were chosen in the, before the foundation of the world. That your name was written in the book of life before the foundation of the world. If you're saved, or you're ever going to get saved, your name's written there right now. All right, then... Let's finish it up here. He says in verses, the last few verses here. He says, The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life See, that's what I'm talking about. Anyone's not in the book of life, let me tell you what, you're a rebel. And you will be cast into the lake of fire. When he talks about the sea there, he's not talking about the oceans. Um, there's some people who get off on some wild tangent that there's another civilization that lived. Actually, Chuck Smith said something about that. I don't agree with it at all. There's some civilization that lived before Adam and Eve and they're buried under the sea. Don't go there. I don't believe that one at all. I, I, when he's talking about the sea in Revelation, he's talking about the mass, uh, the, the masses of godless people that are on this earth. He's talking about the majority of the population, the sea. The Antichrist came up out of the sea. See, that's what he's talking about. John says in, in, in the next uh, chapter, there will, there will be no more sea. This masses of population won't be here anymore. The masses of lost people won't be here anymore. But, but anyway, they've died and they've gone to Hades and all of them are delivered up and they're judged at the great white throne judgment seat and they're cast into hell. Now, that, let me tell you what, that should cause all of us to be concerned about everybody around us because hell is such a terrible place. And, and, and it, begins, it begins with those who die before the great tribulation, but then in the great tribulation we were told, remember in Chapter 14, let me read to you from there. It says, all those who worship the beast and, and take the mark will be cast into hell where they will be tormented, tormented with fire and brimstone and the smoke of their torment will ascend upward forever and ever and they will have no rest day and night. Now that doesn't sound like annihilation to me. That sounds like they have no rest day or night and they are tormented day and night along with Satan, along with the Antichrist, along with the false prophets. And all those people that have rebelled against God, they're going to have no rest day or night. All those who took the mark and everyone else who's lived, who has rejected Jesus Christ. The blood atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And at this point, every rebel has been removed from the earth, removed from... Uh, our presence, they're in hell, and 
the rebellion, any type of rebellion has been eradicated from earth. And guess what happens then? We enter everlasting bliss. Now, the millennium is going to be great. But you think the millennium is great. Wait till the millennium is over and you enter into eternity. And then we will live with Jesus Christ forever and ever and ever. You're going to get a peek of what that looks like beginning in chapter number 21. So we'll get there next week. I just, just as we finish up here, do you see, I mean, the lesson that God's given us right here? I mean, here are these people, they're living in a perfect environment for a thousand years, and still when the thousand years is up, they rebel against the Lord, and they end up in hell. Why? It's not because of the environment, stupid. The problem is with the heart. And only Jesus, only Jesus can change our hearts. And if you don't know Jesus, you're still at enmity with God. You're still a rebel. And you don't want to die in that state. You're going to, you know, this might be your last chance. I'm sure it's not. More than likely it's not. But if you don't know Christ, I mean, let today be the day of your salvation. Why wait? But I, I want, you know, there's always a lesson for all of us. I mean, most, I guess maybe just about everybody here, if not everybody, is in this room is a Christian. But there's a lesson for us here, too. You know, I think sometimes we suffer the same problem. I mean, we think that if God will just change our environment, if he'll change our circumstances, if we get that new house we've been wanting, if we're some young lady and we get that man we want, we desire, that some man who says, if I just can get the right girl, for me, if I could just get the right motorcycle, I mean, for some of you, it's just, Lord, if you, everything would be good in my life if you just give me that new car. Or that, you know, I hear people all the time, if I just could get a new job, if I could just move out of Lafayette and get a new job, everything would be greater. If I could just could move to Lafayette and get a good job. Look, those things are all maybe good things. And they might give us some temporary happiness. But they will never give us lasting peace and joy. Because our main problem is not our environment. Our main problem is our environment. We focus way too much on our material environment and not upon the Lord. And if we're going to find lasting peace and joy in this life, you'll have it in the millennium, but if you want to find it now in this life, then you've got to change your focus. You've got to put your focus on Him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for, Lord, we thank you for the great hope that we have in Christ, the, the millennial hope, Lord, the the fact that we'll be in glorified bodies from that point until eternity, Lord. We just thank you for that. Father, we, we thank you that all of that's been made possible by the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, that uh, you have such a glorious future in store for all of us. And the most glorious part of it all, Lord, will be in your physical presence forever and ever and ever and ever.
Father, if there's anyone here today who doesn't know you as their Savior, Lord, Lord, we don't want to see anyone go to hell. We don't want to see anyone spend eternity in the lake of fire. So, Lord, I, I ask that you strike fear in the heart of anyone who doesn't know you. And, Lord, also strike your love and your peace and your grace upon their hearts and so that they see that wonderful blessings in store for those who, of us who lay down our arms and become uh, your children. And we worship and honor you in all we do. Help us to do that, Lord. We ask that in Christ's name. Amen.